Welcome to BIV Today, the daily business news podcast from Business in Vancouver newspaper and BIV.com. I'm Tyler Orton. And joining us today, the BIV Tech Panel featuring Progressive's Ali Portad and Glue's Linda Focus. We're going to be discussing those compass wristbands that you might be seeing popping up on transit starting this week. And we're also going to talk about the newly unveiled Vancouver Titans. That's the new esports team that the Aquilinis own here in the city. We're also going to talk all about why Amazon, you know, it's it's the Christmas season, but how come we don't have those Amazon drones delivering to our doorsteps as were promised about five years back? We've got an update on that. And then a little later on, the BCLC's Pat Davis, he discusses the gaming agency's new innovation lab in the Okanagan and what technologies are emerging from it to help the organization streamline its own business operations. But of course, before we get to that, let's go to the tech panel. And joining us now, it is Ali Pordad, the CEO of Progressa, and Linda Fawkes. She is the CEO of Glue Technology Society. Ali, Linda, thanks for joining us on the program today. Hi, Tyler. So let's start with, I don't know, the Vancouver Titans. You all familiar with the Vancouver Titans? Probably not. They're going to be the latest esports team that everyone in the city will be following. This is actually owned by the same owners of the Canucks, the Aquilini Group. Uh, They just unveiled the logo, the name of the team. They will be playing in Los Angeles for the first season, but then they're going to be moving up to Vancouver by 2020. From your perspective, Ali, I mean, do you think that there's a lot of untapped potential here and it makes a lot of sense that, you know, people like the Aquilinis are going to get into a business like esports? It makes a whole lot of sense. I I mean, I'm not going to be first in line to watch a first person shooter for three, four hours. Sure. Uh, But if I rewind 20 years, 25 years, I was really into first person shooters. And so I can, uh, I can see this being a very, very big and exciting concept. I totally agree. Yeah. And well, Linda, from your perspective, do you find it maybe complementary towards, say, other sports like physical traditional sports franchises where we've got the Lions, we've got the Whitecaps, we've got the Canucks? Do you think this could eat away at maybe some of the, you know, patronage that they get? Or do you think it could complement what's already going on here in the city? Well, I was intrigued to learn that the IOC, the Olympic Committee, is considering it as an Olympic Olympic events. So I think that we uh, we had some esports uh, players holding the torch at uh, the last Olympics. So this is going everywhere sports is going. People are these young people or older people are spending a lot of hours, diligent hours learning how to play the game. And I do believe it's going to take over a chunk of of the real sports market with 425 million plus people worldwide watching. This is big, big market. I, I've watched a few documentaries on this, and I know that the the gamers themselves consider consider this a sport. I mean, they they are putting in thousands, tens of thousands of hours of practice time uh, to become experts in their field. Yes. And yeah. I think just from the investment perspective, the fact that the Aquilinis are recognizing that this could be the next big thing, especially here in Vancouver, and I really do think that we've got a, a younger population. I think it's very much geared towards kind of something like this. I, I think that there's a lot of great investment potential here. Are you guys, either one of you, planning on donning a, a Vancouver Titans jersey in the uh, the, the coming years? Are, are you guys anticipating that maybe you'll be getting into it, or at least maybe your kids could be uh, interested? I, I, I'm certainly probably going to be looking out for good investments in this space because uh, I definitely see the trend 
trend going towards esports. Uh, you can already see it. And I'm going to look for look out for some cool T-shirts with the great logos <laughs> on them. Yeah, I, I like the I do like the logo that we have here for the Vancouver Titans in the Overwatch League. Overwatch is, you know, as you said, Ali, this first person shooter, but it's a little bit more stylized. Our logo is like this Sasquatch mascot. And I think yeah. uh, how have we ha- not had that yet for like a pro sports team here in Vancouver? With a V for a nose and a mountain range for a head. I think if Aquilini is smart, and I I suspect they are, they're going to do a really uh, masterful job of of trying to sort of combine it with the Canucks and other brands that they have in order to sort of drive business towards it. I mean, not that it's needed. I think they're they're, they're going after a a different demographic. But I do think you're going to start to see things like uh, esports more prevalent at NHL games and other other sporting events as well. Certainly with the cross-marketing in these stadiums. I mean, these these kids are feeling stadiums, thousands right. and thousands of people coming together to play as well. well so I can't imagine that. Incredible events well, to yeah. watch. Yeah, that's just it. Because I am a little surprised that we aren't kicking off the inaugural season for the Vancouver Titans here in Vancouver. They have a dedicated arena down in Los Angeles. It does make sense, though, because who knows with regards to scheduling what the availability would be at, say, Rogers. But I I have to believe that this is going to be based out of a big stadium like Rogers. It just makes the most sense to me, especially when you see the potential here. Yeah, I mean, that's a very interesting logistical problem. How do you uh, schedule an extra sports team in with uh, with the Canucks? But I mean, I guess they had the Grizzlies. They did it before. So there's probably capacity to do so. Well, and they're also scheduling the next big event on February 14th, 2019. So Oh, here in Vancouver. I don't Is it Vancouver? It's, it's going to be in Los Angeles in initially. Yeah. That's where okay. they're going to kick off Valentine's uh, Day. First, yeah. <laughs> you know, uh, shoot some people on Valentine's yeah. Day. That's uh, a great thing to do, but um, it, it's going to be intriguing. So I, I definitely anticipate business in Vancouver. We we want to give this legitimate co- coverage just yeah. like we would cover the business side of say the the Canucks the Lions, et cetera. I think there is like a legit business behind the business model behind this. That really makes a lot of sense here. Well, the IOC thinks so. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, I, you got to have the dexterity for it. So I, which is not something <laughs> I have. I think I gave up, um, on uh, video gaming way back in the Legend of Zelda days. So oh, that's Zelda. Just a long Don't talk to me yeah. about Zelda. You do have to be over 18 to play, which I thought was interesting too. Okay. Oh, that's yeah. interesting. You can be younger than 18 to train for the team, but to actually represent your team, you need to be over 18. Oh, I didn't realize that. Okay. okay. I, think that's I think that's probably responsible, you know, just because yep. uh, I think there could be like, we've heard about issues with maybe like uh, teens, you know, legit getting addicted to kind of gaming. So I think it is something that we should, you know, be keeping our eyes open on. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, so, guys, I don't know what you, but uh, if you had the opportunity to put a wristband on and and go on transit and just slap your wrist as opposed to your compass card against those transit vestibules there or those transit uh, uh, meters, would you guys take it up on the offer that TransLink is putting out there? Linda, we have these compass wristbands. 2000 were just released this week. Would you consider putting one of these on? I have an Apple Watch on my wrist right now, and the compass bands don't look good enough for me to want to wear one, mm-hmm. wear one but yeah. I do love that TransLink is leading the way in this mobility as a service space and finding ways to make our transit infrastructure flow more smoothly and be more affordable. So I think it's a great concept. Love that people are embracing it too. I, I, I mean, a great concept, but I don't understand why a wristband. I mean, why, why not just an app on your phone? Why, why not just tap your phone? And, and right. go through. That was something I was getting feedback on on Twitter. You know, like TransLink puts it out there, and then everybody just followed up with me and said, like, how come we don't have kind of the the NFC yeah. you know opportunity 
with regards to this. From my understanding is the NFC is going through the credit card payments, so the fares are more expensive. When they're loading up the Compass card onto the wristband, um, you're saving about 30% off your fare. So is it's it? quite a bit of a, a, a price difference. But-, but we also see, I think they're going to take a page from the London book where they're going to have um, fobs and uh, watch right. loops and other things that you will wear that aren't quite as overtly Compass card wristband. Yeah, that just seems Fashion. like a, seems like an opportunity for a tech, new technology for a phone that's just cheaper and more effective. Yeah, yeah, I, yeah. I kind of prefer that maybe the keychain option more so than um, wearing like this sort of wearable for myself. It's yeah. also I don't know uh, if you ever want to spot like a transit user, a user. It's going to be pretty easy to do if they've got this big bright wristband that they're walking Agreed, around. Agreed, but it is great for people with disabilities and seniors. So if we have people who don't have a smart a smartphone to use, yep. yeah, or right. they have difficulty trying to get in and out of the stalls or out of the gates because they're carrying other things or maneuvering other pieces of equipment, these things will make it very simple to do that. So yep. agreed. I, I had a debate with one of my colleagues here. She would never put this on her wrist, but I, I told her, look, I. I I actually have the opportunity to like walk or, or ride my bike to work most days because I, I live close enough here. Um, I use transit probably twice a week, I would say. If I was using it five times a week, I, I might consider doing this. But I, I just wonder if I'd get sick of having like this wristband like on me like 24-7. You know, it's just kind of like I, I wonder how many people are taking it off when they get home and maybe forgetting it in the morning. That That's what I, I would be the most forgetful person in the world I, to put it on every day. I think we talked about this on a prior show, but I, I recall seeing in some European countries that there's just starting to test chips in, in yeah. implanted in people's wrists. I mean, wouldn't that be even simpler? That or would what? be hard to leave at home. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. No, I, I threw that out there on Twitter too, and I got a whole bunch of likes when I said, where's my subcutaneous chip? Exactly. And, you know, uh, people... people aren't averse as averse to that idea well, as you might people suspect. People are poking holes in their ears. I mean, they're doing all kinds of things. They I are. Mean, why not just put a little chip in your wrist? I do. I, I, I would I not be it. patient zero for that one. Uh, <laughs> no. Not personally. Well, they're <laughs> already in I... Europe. They're already, it's already happening. We're, they're, we're, yeah. we're living in the past here. Um, <laughs> speaking of living in the past, let's go back, you know, five years ago where Amazon was making big promises about how drones would be delivering all your packages right to your doorstop within five years. And it really hasn't come to fruition like that. I wonder if maybe, Linda, were we getting just a little bit too overhyped or were there a lot of obstacles, you know, that maybe we need to overcome or that maybe government threw in the way or legit concerns about having drones buzzing around everywhere you go? I think Amazon was selling their vision of the future as a basically a very thinly veiled ad to say, look, look at us disrupting the shipping space. Here's how we're going to bring you things. It was an idea that had no grounding in reality. The um, transport people are saying we're looking at another 10 years perhaps from now to decide how are we going to regulate these drones. There's 110,000 of them flying around the skies in the U.S., going up to 450,000. Do we want burgers and toilet paper flying over our heads? I think (laughs) we need to make a decision on that as communities and neighborhoods. Uh, Yeah, I wouldn't wouldn't count them out. I mean, uh, go back two years and they were predicting... um, uh, you know, tills without cashiers, and and they had the new technology, and they didn't, they you know, they they had it about to launch, and it didn't launch, and then 
gave, gave them one extra year and it, and, it, and it finally came out. So I think they're capable of doing what they're what they predict. But uh, this is a much more complicated regulatory and logistical problem they need to solve. So it probably just will take more time. Well, and then we have Uber getting in the fray with their IPO coming out next year, saying that they're going to start launching fast food drone service in 2020. And it's sort of it feels like another one of those Amazon style announcements from five years ago. It's like, are you really going to do that? Or are we just trying to justify your IPO valuation? No, I, I think this one has merit. I, I think this one will come. It's just the, the drone technology itself has a long way to go. The battery lives have a long way to go. It's going to take time for the technology to evolve into something more practical. But I do see, uh, I do see a, some, some serious practical application. And I believe it'll come too. I'm just not sure it's going to be in the next couple of years. Yeah. yeah. Okay. I, I just have to say, I don't know if any of you guys caught the uh, the latest season of the X-Files, but uh, they had a great episode in the which they're kind of tackling uh, all this sort of smart technology. And they had a great sequence with a drone, which was making deliveries, which hmm. uh, it was... Uh, half horrifying, half hilarious. So is uh, X-Files at its best right there. So hopefully we will not be living in an X-Files sort of reality in a few years when it comes to these drones. Let's hope so. (laughs) Excellent. Well, Ali and Linda, as always, thank you both for joining us on the program today. Thanks, Tyler. Thank you. That's Ali Portad, CEO of Progressa, and Linda Fawkes, CEO of Glue Technology Society. Stay with us. We're going to discuss new innovations in the gaming industry that are coming out of the Okanagan. Eight months ago, the BC Lottery Corporation launched a new innovation lab in the Okanagan. And with us today to discuss what's going on there, it is Pat Davis. He's Vice President of Technology at BCLC. Pat, thanks for joining us on the show. Thank you very much for having me. So this innovation lab, tell me a little bit about how it came together and what exactly the goal is with what you guys are doing there. Sure, absolutely. So at BCLC, we've been doing co-op programs ever since our inception, so over 30 years ago. And, you know, with that, we had treated it like many businesses very traditionally, but we saw a number of drivers to change that. First of all, as a digitally enabled business, we saw a lot of the ongoing trends in emerging technology, but we had a challenge. And that challenge was that we didn't have a lot of extra time and capacity in order to investigate some of those and determine specific uses for our business. Secondly, uh, we really wanted to continue our move from a closed innovation model to an open innovation model, which was really be able to look outside of our business for new, interesting ideas and approaches. And the third thing was that, you know, quite honestly, with our previous co-op program, we saw that the students nor ourselves were receiving great value out of that. So given that, I saw a great opportunity to create an amazing learning experience for these students and really support not only their development, but the broader tech uh, community here in Kamloops. So I'm curious. uh, Oh, sorry. Go ahead. Yeah. So what we went ahead and did is we brought in um, our regular set of co-op students. So we bring in four students from various universities. And what we did is we put them through four months of intensive training, and then we let them loose on a number of business problems, both externally customer-facing as well as internally employee-facing. So when they come in, what kind of direction are the students getting from you guys? Because, of course, like you said, you give them you know four months of this intense training and then let them loose. But, I mean, they probably don't have absolute free reign. Uh, what are some of the ideas or, or what kind of direction are you guys giving them? Sure. So what we did is we 
pointed them at some specific business problems, but we actually didn't put any constraints around the approach that they could take. We really wanted them to look out there across all of the various things that they'd been exposed to and that they could research and bring back to us really new and interesting perspectives and ideas. So that's where a lot of these emerging technologies, whether it's artificial intelligence, uh, various social platforms, analytics, et cetera, came into play. So are you able to give them feedback after they come back uh, with these innovations that they've been working on? I'm just wondering what the back and forth is like between, say, you and a lot of the students that are going through this co-op program. Yes, absolutely. So first thing is we actually set them up with a mentor. So we have one of our uh, staff members embedded with them and give them direction day to day. Uh, but in, as they go through this work and really look at these various challenges or problems, they are interacting with our staff as well. So they would come in and whether it was sitting down with folks in our call center or in our marketing department or other areas of our business, really talk to them about what they're seeing and gain their insights. And so we've seen them take that back and really take away three or four uh, interesting business problems and come back with some very innovative approaches. And so I'm curious because maybe a, a lot of people would uh, listen to us talk and assume that a lot of this is geared towards you know making gaming that experience a little bit different. But it, it sounds as if there's maybe kind of business operations that these students would be looking at uh, addressing problems that are going on. Tell us a few examples about maybe what they came back to you guys with. Sure. And I absolutely agree. Some of it is customer facing and some of it is business operational or, or uh, employee concerns. And so from a customer perspective, they looked at challenges like how can our customers get better service? So uh, for us, that's things like how can they choose their winning numbers uh, or their numbers more accurately or easily? How can they um, get the results more quickly? Internally, it's things like how can we reduce some of the manual effort? So one example was in our call center, we get a lot of online chat and a lot of those pieces are very repetitive. It's the same questions and the same answers over and over again. So one of the challenges that we asked them to address is how can we streamline that? How can we make that operation more efficient uh, and satisfying for both our customers and our employees? So I'm curious, uh, you have these innovations, you have a lot of these people coming in kind of thinking outside of the box to a certain degree, or at least they don't have that embedded perspective that maybe somebody who's been at BCLC for a long time might have. What do you think could be the future of some of the innovations that pass by your desk uh, during this uh, program? So we went into this with very realistic expectations, which is we really wanted the students to bring things to a prototype stage that we could test and see if they were going to have value and application to our business. The, the great news for us is we've seen um, out of about five or six different prototypes, two or three that we're actually going to commercialize within our business. So as an example, uh, I mentioned the call center a moment ago. The work that they did around bringing chatbots and artificial intelligence in particular around things like natural language processing to that is absolutely something that we're going to move forward with. And we see a, a really great win and benefit for us out of that. Uh, another one is actually some work they've done with uh, Amazon Alexa and some of those uh, voice-driven technologies where, again, uh, we see real application for our customers in making their services uh, more accessible and easier for them to use. So I'm curious, uh, I mean, you guys are going forward to say commercialization for some of the solutions that were come up, uh, that they came up with here. Do you anticipate that maybe next year you would do another version of this innovation lab just based on the success that you had initially? 
Yeah, we've, we were already actually setting up to do exactly that. So we saw, again, this was a pilot for us, and we wanted to make sure that it was going to make sense for both us and for the students. And it was a resounding success. So we're already setting up for the next cohort coming in April to be able to do that, although we'll focus them on a different set of problems and technologies. Perhaps this time we'll look at things like blockchain instead of artificial intelligence or um, other, other particular areas that may pop up. I am always fascinated about the potential behind blockchain moving forward. So we'll have to stay in contact with regards to that. But on a broader perspective, though, I mean, you are based out in the Okanagan, and I sometimes feel that maybe the British Columbia kind of technology story seems to be a little bit too Vancouver centric. Is this kind of proving that there could be like this this untapped potential going on in the Okanagan when it comes to a lot of the technology and a lot of the innovation coming there. We just need to focus it in the right way. And this is proof positive. There are a lot of you know people there that are going to be moving forward with a lot of innovation from that region. Absolutely. I think it's a really untold story in terms of the talent that exists uh, more broadly across the province and how we can really tap into that. You know, I think there's really an onus on us as business leaders to set up students to be successful, not only in their current programs, but as the technology leaders uh, and entrepreneurs of tomorrow. And, And we can really see the partnership that we created here between ourselves the students and putting them in our local tech incubator, Kamloops Innovation Center, uh, and having them interact with those startups in the broader technology community was a really great symbiotic relationship that there was lots of great information exchange and ideas. Um, And certainly, you know, as the talent challenge becomes greater and more exacerbated in the lower mainland, I think you'll see more and more opportunities for areas like Kamloops and the Okanagan in general really be a focus for technology, technology operations and various uh, organizations to uh, take advantage of that. Well, exciting times, no doubt, not just for the tech sector across BC, but especially for the Okanagan. And Pat, I want to thank you for joining us on the program. I look forward to getting some maybe uh, updates from you maybe in a year's time when we have maybe a better idea about what maybe blockchain could, uh, the applications there within your industry too. Great. Thank you very much for having me. Excellent. That's Pat Davis, Vice President of Technology at the BCLC. And that's it for today. Thanks for listening. You can find our archives on iTunes and Stitcher. So maybe tell your friends all about us. Meanwhile, we'll be back tomorrow.